if you were with us last week, you know that as we begun Epiphany, um, began Epiphany, we launched with the series called Our Good Shepherd. And we're looking at this motif of how God reveals himself as the Good Shepherd. Last week, as we went through Psalm 23, we saw why we need a Good Shepherd. This week, as we look at Jeremiah 23, we're going to see the purpose of the Good Shepherd. What has the Good Shepherd come to do? What is the mission? Now, this is going to be a little bit pie in the sky, you know, kind of abstract a little bit in different parts, but I believe in you. I, 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 I firmly hold fast to the, the, the reality that you'll be able to grab these truths. Listen, I've talked to 10-year-olds who know every character and know the storyline of Harry Potter. And if they can do that, we can grasp this. What is the mission of our Good Shepherd? But before we get to Jeremiah 23, I want to pray for us. Uh, on Friday morning, um, I was doing a devotion through Psalm 68, verse 28, where it said, Summon your power, O Lord. Show us your strength, O Lord, as you always do. And it just cut me like a, like a knife into my heart. And I was just, that was my prayer for us as a congregation. So I just want to pray that over us here this morning. So Lord, we ask that you summon your power. That you show us your strength as you have done in the past and as you always do. Where we feel weak and vulnerable, where we feel like we've strayed, where our cup is empty and we're dry and dusty, pour out the water of your grace and mercy upon our dry souls. Refresh us once again. Restore us unto a right relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you are our good shepherd. We shall not want. You lead us to green pastures. You lead us beside still waters. You refresh our soul. So Lord, we ask, we pray that you summon your power, you show us your strength, as you always do upon your people this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we go through Jeremiah 23, we're going to see what is the mission of the bad shepherd, what is the mission of the good shepherd, and then what are the implications for us who follow the good shepherd? What is our mission then? So if you have your scriptures, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 23. You can turn there now, uh, whether it's with the Bible or a device or something. Um, and I want to give a little bit of context because Jeremiah is writing just a few years before Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, is about to be destroyed. They're destroyed in 586 BC by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah uh, is, is alive during that time, but he's writing the book of Jeremiah just a few years before that. He's experienced wicked kings, uh, kings like Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim, uh, uh, um, Zedekiah, and all of these are ancestors to Josiah. Josiah was a righteous king. Uh, He followed the ways of the Lord for most of his life, but his sons did not. And so he's prophesying, Jeremiah that is, defeat and destruction and dispersion of the people uh, because of the bad mission by the bad shepherds that are leading Israel. They are wicked kings. They have reversed the righteous reform of Josiah, and they've reintroduced idol worship, the neglect for the, uh, the poor, and the neglect of the orphan, and they focused everything upon themselves. They've took the blessing from outside, and they brought it into themselves, and as a result, they've scattered the flock. Everything is about themselves, and that's a characteristic of a bad shepherd. In fact, if you look right before Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 22, he gives an evaluation of these bad shepherds, these bad kings, 13 through 17. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, 
not paying them for their labor. He says, I will build myself a great palace with spacious upper rooms. So he makes large windows in it, panels it with cedar and decorates it in red. Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father, referring to Josiah, have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? But your eyes, referring to the bad shepherds and the wicked kings, but your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. And then he gets to Jeremiah 23, and then he gives the conclusion of the matter. 23 verses 1 and 2. Woe to you, shepherds, who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord your God of Israel says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done, declares the Lord. There's a play on words. Because you haven't tended to the flock, I will tend to you. Because you haven't cared for my people, I'm now going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to cast judgment upon you. Um, so what's, what, what's happening here is the mission and the goal of the bad shepherds is self-serving. And the result is they're scattering the sheep, the people that are following them. There is a poison of selfishness in the hearts of the wicked kings. Our question becomes is where does that selfishness come from? What is the root where, where, where does that live? Where is it native? Where does it come from? And uh, it comes from, and there's a passage of scripture, maybe you guys know it, uh, Romans 3.23. If you, if you know it, repeat after me. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. We're glory deficient. We were built to receive and to share and to, to illuminate the glory of God. That's what we were built for. But it says we've fallen short of the glory of God, which means we are glory deficient. And we will do anything in our power to fill ourselves up, to take from out there, to fill us up. But there's just like this black hole of glory. There's no, there's no amount of reputation or significance or meaning or that we can just grab from the outside and bring it in because that, that hole in our heart is too big. We are glory deficient. And there's one thing that terrifies us more than anything else. It is not somebody getting angry at us. If somebody gets angry at us, we just, I'm going to get angry at you back. In fact, more so. Two times. You know, somebody cuts you off, they get angry. You say, I'm, not, I can, I'm going to get angry back. You know, there's just this response. Of, you know, so we don't, what terrifies us is not us getting angry at us. What terrifies us is not being significant, not mattering, not feeling like we are worthy, not feeling seen. That's what terrifies us. And the Apostle Paul will say, don't pursue selfish ambition or vain conceit. Selfish ambition that comes from vain conceit. That word vain conceit literally means glory emptied. And we can tell our, we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, I'm worth it, I'm worth it, I'm good, I'm good, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great, and tell ourselves that a thousand times. But then we go out into the world and somebody says, you stink. Think, oh. you know, why? Because we are glory deficient. And the root of our selfishness is just that. And we will grab from anything on the outside to try to fill this glory hole. And if we grab anything other than God, we will always be selfish in our ambition. And it will not only destroy us, but it will destroy the people around us. Eugene Peterson says, centering life in the insatiable demands of the ego is the sure path to doom. 
Have you ever been in an organization where your boss or your manager, or maybe on a team where your coach, where you just know that they are not out for the, they're not in this for the mission of the organization, to serve others, to care for others, to advance the mission of something bigger than just themselves? When you're around their authority, it's just destructive. And everybody knows that they're just garnering reputation, power, and money for themselves. They're not in it for serving others in the mission of the organization. They're in it for themselves. And as a result, it's a sure path of doom. And we're going to say in just a little bit a general confession that states, Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and we have strayed from the ways like lost sheep. What does that look like? We have followed too much the devices and the desires of our own hearts. That's the mission of the bad shepherd is that they're in it for themselves. And the result of that mission is that there is scattering. So if that's the mission of the bad shepherd, what is the mission of the good shepherd? And that's found in verses 3 through 8. It says, I myself will gather the remnant, this is the Lord speaking, will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in number. Does that sound familiar? Increase in number. Be fruitful and multiply. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. Nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David's righteous branch. A king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which we, that he will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, listen, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. What's happening here? I want to offer up five quick observations. First, the result of the good shepherd's ministry is not the scattering, but the gathering. And then in verse three, the work of the good shepherd is to bring about the creational mandate that took place in Genesis chapter one and two, that God had given a command to Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to have dominion over the earth. And what was lost because of sin has now been regained by the work and the ministry of the good shepherd. And as you hear this, it just begins to awaken within you some hope. Third observation, how is all of this possible? It's possible through David's righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely, who will rule and reign with the authority of God himself because he is God. Observation number four in verse seven. And what he will do is even greater than the Exodus event. There was one event that stood above all other events in the Old Testament. And it was the Exodus. And the hope here is is that there's going to be something that far exceeds the deliverance of the Exodus. And that is a second Exodus. Where this Messiah will come. And he will deliver us not from the hand of the Egyptians, but the hand of sin, death, and hell. And bring in and usher in his kingdom. Fifth observation, the final result is that we will inherit the land. The end result of Psalm 23 was that we would dwell in the house of the Lord forever, his house, but now we will dwell in his land. The Bible begins and ends with the people of God in the land. Genesis 1 and 2, creation is made, the land. 
Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. We end up in the land. In other words, the work of this good shepherd is to restore all things. This is the storyline of scripture, that God created all things out of his love, but even after we had sinned and we had fallen short of the glory of God, Jesus did not give up on us. God did not give up on us. He sent his one and only son out of love to live a perfect life, to live the life that we should have lived but didn't, to die on the cross because of a sacrificial love, to redeem us from our sin, and then be raised from the grave three days later, declaring victory over sin, death, and hell, and giving us the hope after he ascends, gives us his Holy Spirit, that he will come once again, rend the heavens, come down, usher in the new heavens and the new earth, bringing his salvation in which there will be no more injustice, no more suffering, no more disease, no more racism, no more oppression, no more death, and we will rule and reign with him forever. That's not bad. (laughs) The mission of the good shepherd is the restoration of all things. That's what he has come to do. And he does it through sacrificial love. Bad shepherds lead with selfishness and they scatter. The good shepherd comes with sacrificial love to restore Martin Luther King says that one day the sweltering heat of injustice and the sweltering heat of oppression will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. Little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. That one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made a plain, and the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Restoration. That's what the good shepherd has come to do. Now, what does this mean for us? A little bit later, after Jeremiah 23, we get to Jeremiah 29, and um, he, tells, he tells the people of God what to do. After they'd been destroyed, after their land had been taken by the Babylonians, they're now in exile. And the good shepherd tells them what they are called to do in light of, his, in light of the mission of the good shepherd while they're living in exile as resident aliens. This is what your mission is to be, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7. Build houses there, settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number, sound familiar? Increase in number, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which you have been carried into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The story, the mission of God informs how we have been given a mission. The storyline of scripture, of creation, the fall, redemption, and the restoration of all things, this story informs what our mission is. Because if the mission of the good shepherd is the restoration of all things, then the mission of the sheep who follow the good shepherd is also to participate in the great mission the shepherd has entrusted to us. Alistair McIntyre, I can only answer the question what I am to do. Again, what am I to do today? What am I to do in my life? The only way I can answer that question, what I am to do, if I can answer the prior question of what story do I find myself apart? Our mission is God's mission, proclaiming salvation and working for the restoration of all things. 
Um, there's a missionary, Heidi and uh, Roland Baker, who work in Mozambique, and they have been for years. Um, they oversee about 14,000 children caring for them. They also treat 30,000 people every year uh, in clinics, building houses, schools, digging wells, planting churches, have just done remarkable things. And she writes on how um, the mission of the Lord, as they engage in it, God always provides enough. Uh, and she writes, one night I was groaning in intercession for the children of Mozambique. There were thousands coming toward me, and I was crying, no, Lord, there are far too many. Then I had a dramatic, clear vision of Jesus. I was with him, and thousands and thousands of children surrounded us. I saw his shining face and his intense, burning eyes of love. I also saw his body. It was bruised and broken, and his side was pierced. He said, look into my eyes. You give them something to eat. Then he took a piece of his broken body and handed it to me. It became bread in my hands, and I began to give it to the children. It multiplied in my hands. Then again, the Lord said, look into my eyes. You give them something to drink. He gave me a cup of water, which flowed from his side. I knew it was a cup of bitterness and joy. I drank it and then began to give it to the children to drink. The cup did not go dry. By this point, I was crying uncontrollably. I was completely undone by his fiery eyes of love. I realized what it had cost him to provide such spiritual and physical food for us all. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, there will always be enough because I died. And this is the work that we are called to engage in. As we have received Christ as our King and Lord, he has given us enough to go out into the world the places where he has put us to bring the good news of the gospel and to bring and to do the work of restoration in all directions. Now, what does this mean? I want to offer up to you this morning two applications. As we participate in the mission of our good shepherd, I want to give you two applications. First is general, and one will be very specific. First, general. I'm going to give you a, a picture here. And this is just the, the different aspects or facets of the world in, in which we engage in school, media, family, neighbors, politics. Some people say you can't legislate morality. That's really the only thing you can legislate because if you have unrighteous people, you have unrighteous values and those values get expressed in unrighteous laws. However, if the hearts are transformed, you have righteous people that have righteous values that put forth righteous laws. You can't legislate the heart but we are called to engage in the work of putting forth righteous laws that are grounded in righteous values as we are righteous people. So that's just one sector of society. Neighbors, as you go into your neighborhood, you, know, you, you live there. This is what takes place six days out of the week. You know, we serve, we have play, we have friends, we work, we engage in politics, neighbors, family, media, and school. But then as we come here on Sunday morning, this is the place where we as the body of Christ meet to get filled up, to receive, to, to receive his forgiveness, to receive his love, to receive his grace, you know, to, to be empowered to do the work that he has called us to do. But we don't stay in here, but we go forth into the different facets of our world that God has called us to, sharing the good news of the kingdom, declaring the love of Christ, laying down our life for the sake of others, sacrificially giving and serving, you know, praying for others in all of those different areas. That's how we engage in the mission of God. We're here one day a week, but we're there six days a week. And we've been equipped and we've been sent 
to do the work that he has called us to do. So that's the general thing. We're all called to participate in the mission of God. Now, what is the specific thing that we're being invited to um, in this next season? Between November 1st and present, November 1st, 2022 and present, we've had uh, 3,700 friends from Central and South America come to Denver. While most of them will go on to other cities and other states, there's approximately 500 that are here, mostly from Venezuela, and approximately, again, 500 are going to be remaining in Denver. Um, And unlike recent, the Ukrainian and Afghan humanitarian parolees, these migrants are not eligible for mainstream or refugee resettlement benefits. So therefore, there's an opportunity for us to engage in a whole community approach to be able to support and to serve those who are most vulnerable. What are we doing? We're fortunate enough here in this church to be able to have a number of some people who work high up in the state and also those that are working in trusted nonprofits around the city. We have been in communication with them throughout this week and we've put together a plan. And now here's the ask and it's threefold. First, in light of the migrants that have come here, and by the way, uh, they are currently in Denver shelters, uh, but those shelters will be shut down on January 23rd, and so they're not going to have a place to go. And so we're trying to figure out what do we do and what is the response of the church. And so in light of that, we're asking for three different possibilities. Here's the ask. First is to give some space. We're praying for at least one person or one family in Wellspring to open up your home to be a host home for a person or a migrant family. And that's going to take place over the course of at least a minimum of two months. That's what we need from host homes. Secondly, to give money. The first area where you can give money is to a temporary Wellspring designated fund called the Migrant Hospitality Fund. This money will be used to directly support host homes toward longer-term sustainable housing. Uh, These host homes are going to have some burdens that they're going to have in providing food and transportation. Giving of the money will be able to help provide for some of those wraparound services. There's another source that you can give money to, and that's the Newcomers Fund with the Rose Community Foundation. And these funds are deployed strategically to the entities providing essential services. So give space, give money, And thirdly, you can give time. We want to see two volunteer teams um, mobilized. The first volunteer team will be specifically to support the host home that has come out of Wellspring. Now, if we have more than one host home, praise God. But our goal is at least one host home. And these volunteers will come alongside of those host homes to assist again in those wraparound services and helping provide food and practical needs, transportation, English conversation, and most of all, friendship. So that's what the volunteers will do, is supporting those host homes. The other volunteer team, we have a member who uh, works at Joshua Station. They are a friend in the city, the executive director, Jeff Johnson, a longtime friend. Um, And they are opening up in Joshua Station three of their homes, or three of their places at Joshua Station on 8th and I-25, to be able to house uh, uh, at least three families that are migrants. Uh, And they're going to need support. And so those volunteers would come and maybe go to the room before the migrants come and be able to kind of freshen it up, make it look homey. And then throughout the time that they're there, to, to, to come alongside of them, helping provide food and transportation, building friendship, helping them teach English, and just, again, providing those wraparound services. 
initially, they're providing three rooms, and hopefully in the near future, they're going to be opening up three more rooms. And they're looking to the church to be able to help provide support. So give space, be a host home. Give money, support those host homes. And then thirdly, give of your time through volunteering. In conclusion, if you are interested in being a part of caring for these uh, 500 individuals, you can scan the QR code on the screen and find it at the welcome table and also at the lobby. This will directly take you to our URL, wellspringinglewood.com backslash migrant help. This will take you to a Wellspring survey to see how you would like to be involved. And if you have any other questions, we'll have Theo and Tara um, be ready throughout the week. So as soon as you fill out that survey, they will reach out to you and walk you through more specifically what this looks like. So this is a way that we can engage in the mission of God here. And I want to give you a testimony. This comes from David and Tara Maloof. They worked with refugees over the past years, and this is what uh, Tara wrote to me. She said, being involved with refugees and migrants has deeply enriched our lives and their friendship is invaluable. We don't want to dismiss all the ways our new to America friends have impacted us. However, there's also the reality that when migrants or refugees have American friends, they have a relational safety net that is priceless. While eating lunch at some Afghan friend's house, the father of the family, Wahab, told me this story. He recounted how he had called his father in Afghanistan and told them all the things that our team of Christians had helped them with. He told them how we brought them food each week, helped them learn English and how to navigate complicated systems, and how our church also ran a med clinic to serve vulnerable populations. Wahab's father, who's Muslim, by the way, told him that he did not believe it, that Christians did not do such things. But Wahab insisted that it was all true. Then he looked across the table at me, Tara. Your team has helped us and that you are our friends. This is good news. This is very good news. Epiphany is a season where we celebrate God's mission being expressed by the nations coming to see Jesus. The nations are here And this is our opportunity as we participate in the mission of God to show and to reveal the love of Jesus. The mission of God, the mission of the Good Shepherd is the work of restoration. We are invited into this mission of laying down our lives, serving others with sacrificial love, and declaring the good news that the kingdom of God is here and in every way of life he's called us to engage in the kingdom. Go forth into the world proclaiming the good news of our Good Shepherd. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia.